I'm Cassidy Hall. I'm Carl McCollman. I am Kevin Johnson, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Welcome back to Encountering Silence, where this week we shift gears into another topic which I'm excited about and a guest who I am actually thrilled to have sitting next to me. So today's guest is Kurt Johnson, and Kurt Johnson is a a person who has specialized in one-on-one personal and small group training, corrective exercise, weight loss, sports conditioning, and soft tissue therapy. He uses multiple modalities like resistant stretching, myofascial release, active isolated stretching, and myoskeletal alignment techniques. He helps clients facilitate pain-free movement. He currently holds a position of corporate fitness manager at Cooper Surgical, located in Trumbull, Connecticut. He has numerous workshops and trainings that he's done uh, involved in human movement. He's completed the corporate athlete training and trainer course, uh, training the trainer course at the Human Performance Institute, which is a huge deal, costs a lot of money. I I was amazed when he was uh, invited to go there in Orlando, Florida, and he's completed that twice. He's competed in numerous triathlons, including Ironman and half Ironman distances, and is an avid runner. He currently resides in Connecticut with his wife and three daughters. And he sees his ultimate mission to help people find complete freedom in their movement of mind, body, and spirit so they can become who they truly are. And I think the most important thing is that he is my brother. And so I'm excited (laughs) for him to be here today. And I purposely wanted to have that formal intro to kind of reach out and point out to the audience uh, what Kurt does. Kurt is a specialist at this. However, I want to make clear that we are not going to be speaking in jargon, uh, and we're going to talk right down to the everyday person about this, Uh, this question of the body, performance, what people would call exercise, and the surprising connection with silence. So I really want to start there with Kurt, and I want to ask, it seems like two totally different topics, human performance and silence. How do those two go together? Well, it's an absolute honor to be here, and I appreciate that wonderful introduction, and I appreciate that I'm actually your brother. <laughs> you should. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a very, it's, a very, it's a great question, and it's, a, it's a actually um, a complicated question because uh, human performance for me, I've always been fascinated with the body. And when I got into actual exercise and, you know, performance, and I actually opened up my own training studio back in 2004, 
I was young and I went in with the concept of just really trying to focus on weight loss and focus on the physical elements of the body. But when I started to realize is that in that physical realm, there was something deeper than that. And I really wanted to explore that. And you and I have gone back and forth over the years and talked about this. And there's a connection between silence and there's a connection between movement and performance. What I've come to find out is that there really is a level of non-performance that needs to be incorporated into everyday life. And uh, we're focusing on achievement and we're focusing on doing and we're focusing on all these things about we need to achieve weight loss. And people would come into the door with all these specific goals. And I'd have to step back with them and really try to target something deeper than that. And sometimes it's very difficult because based on the clientele, you have to customize each workout and each program based on their goals because you want to actually have them have results. But you also want to kind of guide them in a direction that's going to give them long-term success. And with such simple goals like that, we, we tend to see that the actual success is not as great when they're not focusing on the actual deeper, deeper patterns of silence, meditation, prayer. But I don't like to use those words in the beginning because sometimes that can deter people away from like movement and exercise. So <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a touchy subject because when people come in, I usually do a full assessment with them and it's usually based on movement. But as I start to get more of a health history, it's beyond movement. And what we start to see is, is we see a lot of patterns that they need emotional training. They need mental training. They need physical training. They need spiritual training. And at the time that I started to do this, I didn't have a lot of spiritual training. I, I felt like I needed to learn more about that, 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 that dimension. And fortunately enough, I have a wonderful brother who is excelling in that dimension. <laughs> So <laughs> but there's more than two of you. <laughs> yes, he's absolutely talking about a different brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Kevin and I actually have been speaking about that dimension for a long time. And what really kind of pulled to me was I got really drawn to the Human Performance Institute because it's kind of kind of a paradox, actually, because it's quite funny because there's the Human Performance Institute. I was going there to learn about non-doing. But yet the, the word performance is actually right in the title of their actual institute. So it's, it's kind of an interesting situation. And if you're familiar with Dr. Jim Lear, he's got a lot of books out. Uh, Powerful Engagement is one of his popular ones, but also The Only Way to Win is one of his newer ones. And it's, it really talks about character traits. And he's a positive psychologist. He, uh, between him and Jack Grobble, who run the institute, they focused really on just the exercise science component, but the, also the psychology of the brain. And that's where I, I really got pulled to the, that avenue because that was a different, different approach than just the physical realm. I was really trying to focus more on moving from physicality and getting into the more of the, the, more of the brain science. And what I found was this kept leading me to the Human Performance Institute when I started seeing it because they did a lot. They did really well with marketing and getting that, their name out. But they have 40 years of science and research on a lot of this. And they've talked about like what you can do. And so to give you a layout of the, of the, of the way it worked out, as I go down there, you do a full 360 degree uh, profile about yourself. You actually have your spouse actually fill out the profile about you. Your kids fill out the profile about you. Your, people, your peers that work. You do a full biometric screenings. They take all your health history. They do blood work. You go into the training. And as you sit down, you meet with your psychology coach. And they really break down what it is to focus on 
do your values and what they call the ultimate mission in your life kind of correlate to what we're seeing on paper here? And then that training is actually, they're teaching you a training over the course of the two, three days that you're there on how to take your old story and recreate a new story. And every single time there's a massive transformation with any person that goes through that process because there's a mind, they talk, they target things that most people don't target. They target the spiritual component. They target the emotional component, the mental component, and the physicals on the bottom of their pyramid. So, and so the concept of is spirituality and purpose is really what they want to drive home. And that, when you really can find that point and target it into their specific goal, then the goal is, be, is actually heightened. They become more successful at that goal. Mm. So their main, they, they've really focused with a lot of people in terms of like Navy SEALs training and a lot of the elite athletes and all the people in the world that actually have high-stress jobs and are asked to perform at high levels. How do they become experts at that? Yeah, now, Kurt, I, I kind of want to back up a little bit because you, you mentioned about, you know, you were going to this to for the non-doing. I, I have a two-part question. And one is, you know, you use the word performance a lot. And I'm wondering, you know, in a world where we're obsessed with success and being the best, uh, you know, the fastest, the strongest, the most intelligent, performance can kind of make me uncomfortable a little bit, that word, just in the, in the general sense, especially when we're talking about silence and non-doing as you were exploring earlier or mentioning earlier. The second part of my question is, you know, you talk about this program, you know, a lot of people talk about silence as the rich man's reward and, and hearing about that. It also kind of sounds like the rich man's reward, you know, that you're able to go do this thing. Now, what about for the everyday person? Like how can they tap into connecting all these parts of themselves and, and reaching into that without going to something like that, if that makes sense. Well, the first thing I usually, that's a great question. I mean, and I think it's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think, I think it is, it did for me, it did feel like the rich man reward because I had no intentions of ever going to that actual Institute because I mm. saw the cost of the, you know, how much it cost to get there. And mm -hmm. I just didn't think at the time it was financially doable for me. But what I found in my practice and speaking actually with, you know, spiritual directors and obviously speaking with Kevin over the years and having these, this type of dialogue, it's really comes to, I started a lot of people with just breath and breath mm -hmm. real and, and breath practice, realistically teaching people how to diaphragmatically breathe. Because when people were coming into my studio, some of the basic movement patterns, which the first movement pattern to me is breath, you know. Would you mind teaching us something small right now even? Absolutely. So if... I mean, I like to do breath standing. Some people like to do it sitting, but you can, it doesn't matter where you are. But so for a, a deep diaphragmatic breath, if you actually just sit here in an upright position and just close your eyes for a minute, or you could look out and gaze out in front. I want you to just put your hands on your belly and your hand on your chest. And I want you to just focus on your breath and just take a nice breath in. And as you take a deep breath in, do you feel your belly rise? And then slowly exhale. Take a deep breath in, let your belly rise. Fill, fill that whole belly with oxygen. And then slowly let that oxygen come out. Try one more. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. So 
right there, what we're looking for is to try to get the belly to rise. And a lot of people are only chest breathing. And so mm. that's like a quick actual technique that you can use right you're, at your you're desk. You're testing to see if you're doing chest breathing or diaphragmic breathing. Correct. Yeah. Right. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you watch a baby, a baby, when they're breathing, it really is amazing to watch because what's going on is, is they're actually full belly breath. Whereas when we get older, we tend to be more in the chest. And this is where our anxiety and our stresses go. Right. And this is what, what's going on with a lot of people. When I have a lot of you know, people coming in that have high-end jobs, attorneys, law, you know, uh, CEOs, mm-hmm. they are all stressed out and they're holding it in their shoulders. You can see their posture. And, you know, and that's really what kind of leads. I could see the intensity in their, in their bodies right off the bat. So right off the bat, they're doing a lot already with their own lives. And I find that we need to actually spend time taking them back to non-performance because yeah. what that means is they're doing so much and then they come to me and go, Kurt, I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to lo- get less stress. I want to gain muscle mass. And I say, well, that's more doing. And, <laughs> and so they start like, they look at me like, well, I know, but that's a goal. I'm like, yes, but you've achieved a lot in your life. You're very successful. You've done a lot of things in terms of building your company from the ground up. And what's going on is, is you're doing, 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 but we need to take a step back and non-do and focus more on the quietness of your body, paying attention to those little things that are going on in your body and finding out why these things are happening. And so if you're having, and my expertise realistically comes in pain management. So when it comes to non-performance, I find when a lot of people are not performing, they're having a lot of issues in pain. Right. You know, right. So there's, it's, it, it's a combination of both. Like I focus a lot on soft tissue. So when people are coming in with soft tissue injuries and they're looking for a specific goal, I want to look at all that. I want to look at the body. I want to look at breath. I want to look at, and I also want to see what they're doing. We always ask that question. What, how many hours are you sitting? How many hours mm-hmm. do you, how much sleep do you get? Mm, you know, yeah. and, and these are the things that are causing a lot of the stresses so right off the bat, the, per- the performance element of asking them to just focus on 30 seconds of breath is almost, it's almost impossible for them. They, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're kind of like squirming in their seat. They have a hard time just sure. sitting still and being sure. focused. Right. So, I mean, so now that, that answers the question of like how you can start getting to non-performance, but about the second question that Cassidy raised about rich man's reward. We, we joke around. He went down to that Human Performance Institute and it's in this gorgeous hotel Tell, tell them that story about the hotel. Like, <laughs> Well, they, they set you up for absolute failure. So, I mean, right <laughs> off the bat in terms of because it's not realistic to, you know, what we really truly need. We need to be outside and and, we're, and we need to be uh, Kevin and I talk about this all the time in terms of wild and, and nature and focusing on like getting to the simple life. And they put you in this situation where who wouldn't want this? You know, you're, you're wine and dined, you're put into a certain, you know, a certain element where all the food is amazing, you know, and people don't, a lot of people don't have access to that type of stuff. And then you go in and they're like, Hey, Mr. Johnson, how can I help you? Mr. Johnson, what can I do for you? Mr. Johnson. <laughs> so it, it's, it's quite an interesting scenario, but in the great scheme of things, like for me, it, I come always from a source of gratitude. See, I, and, and so when I go down there, I was given that gift to be able to go there. And so I know people cannot go, not everybody can go to this conference. Not everybody can take that on. So in the end, my goal is to obviously, I took the train the trainer course so I can then empower it, redevelop it, and then bring it back to the actual organization. And then to everyday people, everyday people and reframe it in a way where I can give it to everyday people who cannot be there. 
you know, I, I kind of want to jump in on this because listening to you talk and, and you know, talking about that, that athletes, and I'm assuming you're talking about like major league sports athletes are, are beginning to incorporate meditation into their routine, you know, and so maybe this sense that, you know, at the upper echelons of our society, there is this growing recognition that there is this important link with silence and with wellness or with, you know, not performance as a way to enhance the way we live. But I want to, you know, again, kind of take it back down to the boots on the ground. You know, I'm a member of our neighborhood LA fitness and I'm just your, your standard, just, you know, I'm, as, as one friend of mine puts it, I'm just fighting gravity at this point, you know, so, but you're my favorite client, actually, I'd be, I'd be drawn to you in a minute. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Hey, there's plenty of room for improvement, you know, but the, um, but the, what, what frustrates me to no end is I walk in there and the music is blaring Mm. the, um, there's TV screens everywhere with either, you know, CNN or Fox News, you know, the talking heads that are screaming at each other or or the or the music videos that are very, again, glitzy and stylized and, you know, the whole kind of showing off the glamorous life, that kind of thing. And it almost feels like it's an environment that is sabotages its stated goals. And my wife and I have really kind of begun focusing on the yoga classes. Mm. We joke that the yoga classes are the only environment in that club where you can go in and you actually get soothing music and they'll turn the lights down. Mm. And, you know, and, and so, so it's, it's wonderful that there is yoga there, but then we walk back out at the end of the hour and we're back out in this sensory assault. And I, and I, I don't expect you to have any solutions, but I think this is something that maybe a lot of us are struggling with in this culture. It's kind of like you talking about that hotel. It's almost like it was set up to undermine the work. Absolutely. So how do, how do ordinary, you know, Joes and Janes, you know, like, like us and like the people who listen to our podcast, how do we swim upstream? You know, what, what advice do you have? I mean, obviously I, I wear near ear and noise canceling earbuds when I go to the gym, but even I, I recognize even going to the gym, there's a certain measure of privilege that, that, that entails. Right. And so, those without so I, a gym membership, of course, too. Right. 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 Yeah. They, they don't even have, have, you know, or, or, or can't afford, I mean, Bose, you know, noise canceling earbuds are not cheap, you know, to, to avoid, to afford that kind of equipment that gives you that buffer. So, so I'm just really curious, how do we address these, the way that our culture seems to be addicted to performance and also addicted to things that actually undermine our wellness and don't even get me started on candy bars. No. But um, <laughs> <laughs> We've targeted our children in such bad ways. It's not, I mean, our, even when you go to the grocery store, you have the candy bars at eye level for them. It's unfortunate. That's a question I struggle with every day because the bot, Kevin and I go back and forth again on this once again, that nature is where it's at and I'm starting to move my practices outside and it's now not becoming an exercise program. It's now becoming Mm. a movement program. It's a shift of completely Mm. taking, and we're seeing this now and what's going to end up happening, Carl, and I think to answer your question is from the corporate aspect, I'm sucked right in it and I see it day in and day out and I'm, silence is the infinite possibility, right? I took, I'm taking that straight from the notes on silence. I have to, because when I, that was the first thing I read and, 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 and realistically for me, 
it's going to come out. It has to come out because we can't keep going in this direction. And what's going on is, I mean, we're seeing it when I go to corporate wellness events, right? And we see, we see people coming up talking about well buildings. They're trying to create buildings that actually mimic the nature of our day, you know, outside. Because <laughs> they know that we cannot be outside all day. The corporate world cannot be out. They have to be working indoors. So what they're doing is they're bringing the plants inside. If you look at Amazon and you look at his corporate office down in Seattle, like he's got windows. There's the whole building's full of windows and there's plants inside and there's like Zen garden pathways to like each, each corporate office. Like it's set up to be like natural surroundings. And they're trying to create these environments that are indoors, like outdoors. They're changing the light lighting. So when the lighting is brighter in the morning when you're working and it slowly follows the rhythm of the sun and as the day goes on, the lighting gets less and less and less. And they're, they're, they're focusing on how we can create a better environment indoors, just like almost like in the pursuit of silence when he talked about like at the end with the cars that being coming quieter on the road and like the different technologies mm -hmm. that they're using. They're starting to use different technologies now to actually create a natural environment indoors because they recognize that 90% of our day is indoors. So how do we get yeah. movement into the day-to-day -day life? Well, walking treadmills, standing desks, you know, we need to start having better ergonomics. We have to start focusing right. on when we take breaks. And in the Human Performance Institute discusses that. How do we take active recovery breaks? They call recovery. See, I find recovery in this performance, Human Performance Institute, as moments of silence. Mm -hmm. Right. And so yeah. it, it's moments of silence that the corporate world can get because what's going on is, is that they, they ask you, if you start to feel stress, take a 30 second breath. All right. Step back from your desk, take, go out for a walk, walk away from your desk, regroup, come back, and your thought might be a little bit more enhanced. Mm. So they're strategic stretching, strategic movement, they're calling it, strategic recovery, all right? strategic time for mindfulness. When are you going to sit? When are you going to do this? When are you going to go out? When you so if the person's working 15 hours a day, how are they going to get to the Planet Fitness at the end of the day? They're going to use that as an excuse, well, I want to go home and see my kids. Well, that has value, and that's where they try to link that value. Kids, The kids are important, but who's getting your best energy, right? The best energy is the work. You get the work all day. You're giving your best energy at your job. You're giving your best energy at everything you're doing, but then you go home with your kids, and you have no energy, and you have an hour left with them, and you're exhausted, and you're falling asleep. So the so my goal for people is to increase their energy levels. How do I get their energy? Because if I can get them energy then they're going to feel better and it's going to link them to what their ultimate goal is, their purpose. And that right. usually always circles right back around into deep silence because I'm starting to get clients now coming to me saying, I'm starting to have these major reflections when we start to get these techniques. And then that's where it comes out of my scope and I have to push them towards a spiritual director or somebody who has more mm -hmm. expertise in that mm -hmm. so they can then go into a different realm. So you're saying in the, you know, to kind of reframe this, you're saying that in the corporate world, they're using words like recovery, et cetera, et cetera, to kind of sell this. That's their jargon. Correct. And now Carl's question is more like, all right, what about the average everyday person? And I think we've had conversations about this too, where like, let's stop thinking about going to the gym and exercise Let's reframe it. And you said it before. Let's think movement. Let's just think movement. And yeah. so what does that look like for everyday people? Forget corporate. What does that look like for the person at home or who wants to go to the gym? How do we shift the mindset to movement? Well, we have such an embedded thinking that we have to like go to the gym to exercise to get our movement in. And we're not even paying attention to the every little day things of like just washing dishes is movement. 
you know, doing mm-hmm. ex- doing extra loads of laundry, going up your stairs, parking your car a little further right. when you're in the and when you're going to work and taking a little extra walk to the so don't take the escalator or don't take the elevator, take the stairs. You know, when you're in the airport, we tell a lot of people when you're in the airport, walk a little faster. Don't sit down at the terminal. Go for a walk around the airport prior to getting on the six-hour flight. And that, those are the things you can start to integrate that nobody really need. You don't need anything. You can use your own body to change and you know, just add those things into your day. You know, gardening, getting outside, doing things around your house. Right. All those little, little things that you would do that you, maybe you wouldn't do. You can start adding those things into your day. But I mean, I think there's there's so many different directions you can go with that because realistically, the everyday person that's moving, it all depends on the job, what they're doing. You know, a lot of people are sitting, but there's also ways to get up and move around, you know, and we just have to be a little bit more something Maybe like more mindful. Proactive or- yeah. yeah, proactive is a great term. Yeah. A little bit more proactive, a little bit more mindful. And I think like a lot of these courses are actually, when we're going to these courses now, you're seeing a lot of that's going on, that they're teaching people to be more mindful. But when you start to be a little bit more mindful, you're going to start to notice that people are going to request this stuff. Mm. They're going to start looking. Mm. For, we're seeing it now. People don't want to sit because they're, they're feeling antsy in their chairs. And so now they're asking the HR department to now, can we get more mm-hmm. of these upright treadmill desks? And we, can I have, a, can I have a, a longer break? Can I, can I extend my lunch? So I can go for a walk outside, you know, right. so it's becoming a little bit more ingrained in the actual, the work day. So when it comes to, I mean, we all know the benefits in terms of, you know, our own lives and how heating these things have, has helped our lives in terms of heating silence, the call of silence and, you know, listening to our bodies when we need to get up and move and whatnot. But can you reference any studies or anything in particular for our audience that might point to the fact that, you know, I, I hate to say, I know there's studies about people being more productive, but maybe studies, you know, that people are happier. People are finding more peace in their lives or, or something like that when they do listen to these these inner calls from our body, whether it's, yeah, I need to get up and go for a walk or I need to sit, do my silent sit today or whatever it might be. I see you picking up a stack of books. There, yeah, I so. got a lot of those. I can answer <laughs> we a lot like of that. Yeah. This book here, um, I, I just actually, it's Dan Buettner, The Blue Zones, if you might be familiar. The Blue Zones uh, of Happiness, Lessons from the World's Happiest People. And so what? The, so for, I saw Dan a couple of years ago. So for, for example, he came in, he's a National Geographic, uh, he worked for National Geographic, and he went in, I think it's like 25 years of research that they looked at the 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 five areas that he came up with that had the longest longevity. And the blue zones were these areas where he found a common denominator in these five areas where people were living to be 100 plus years. They actually had like very little heart disease was known in the area. There was no cancers, dementia. There was no ADHD. All these things that we're suffering in America, like a lot of in our world right now, due to multiple reasons why, were not really known in these blue zones. Uh, and they were trying to figure out why and what the, what the common denominator was. And so the, the, he went in and he started talking to these people. And so the five zones, I think, was Okinawa, Japan, Costa Rica, and then it was Sardinia, Italy, I believe. And we had L- Luna Lima, California, I believe. And I f- can't remember the last one if it was in so, a place in Greece. But these five zones that he studied... The, these people, they didn't have, this answers your question, Carl, from back, back what you were saying before about going to the gym. 
they didn't have gyms. He, <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't, he looked at me in the crowd and said, I'm sorry, they don't hire a corporate fitness manager. So you lost your job just about two <laughs> seconds ago. So, so it's quite funny. So, you know, he, he pretty much stated that it really was these small communities. They all were like-minded in terms of community. They all, there was all practice of silence and prayer and meditation. Gratitude was a huge level of, uh, there's a, loads of gratitude towards each other, their spouses, their neighbors. They had a huge belief system in, you know, just praying and thanking their ancestry and what they're, you know, what they've been given. The relationships that they bared were just amazing. They would, if somebody's house burnt down in the community, the whole community would come together to build it back up. There was walking trails th that they had. Everybody ate Mediterranean type of style diets. It was 90% plant-based. We didn't get into a lot of Animal, by, animal byproduct and um, eating a lot of food, animal product foods. Uh, there was also tons of fruits. Uh, you had tons of vegetables, there was plants, and you had, everybody had gardens. So there was very little, and you, and you actually didn't have a lot. You would live simply. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. And, and so the last, last uh, conference I just came through, the Blue Zones of Happiness, he studied the other areas that actually people were the happiest areas. Uh, and what he found was, as he calls it, the power nine. All right. And this just hit home to me because this is what I've been trying to relate with Kevin for a long time. We've been talking about this. So the first one is move naturally. So yeah. the world's longest lived people don't pump iron, run marathons, or join gyms. Instead, they live in environments that constantly nudge them into moving. They grow gardens, don't have mechanical conveniences for house and yard work. Every trip to work, to a friend's house, or to church occasions a walk. Mm -hmm. So yeah. number, yeah. number two, purpose. Why do I wake up in the morning? What, why do I get out of bed? What's the reason for my life? Research has shown that knowing your sense of purpose is worth up to seven years of extra life expectancy. So they're seeing seven extra years added to your life. And this is over 25, 30 years of research. Third, number three, downshift. Yeah. <laughs> so reduce. Uh, so reduce. Yeah. So okay. even people in the blue zones experience stress, which leads to chronic inflammation associated with every major age-related disease. The world's longest-lived people have routines to shed that stress. So like the Okinawans take a few minutes each day to remember their ancestors. Um, the sardines take a, ha a happy hour nap. There's, so you're seeing like a pattern here. And this is the pattern that, that I start to embed into my clientele when I'm working with them. Because I've seen, when, before I met Dan, I was actually doing this and didn't realize I was doing it. So, mm -hmm. and then this kind of clarified it. Yeah. Plant slant. It's everything's beans, you know, black soy, lentils, all that. That's the diet. Wine at five. <laughs> yeah, everybody has a glass everybody of wine. Everybody has a glass of wine. 
Only a glass. Yeah, I can get on board with this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking and wine. Walking and wine. You have me. Glass yeah. of wine, and they were they were they were really on top. Everybody drank wine. Didn't matter the age, and the, but they were they. It was in moderation, always. Sure. Um, a level of belonging. All but five of the 263 centenarians were interviewed had a strong faith-based community. So that was a huge component. Actually, research shows that attending a faith-based service four times per month will add four to 14 years of life expectancy. Wow. Wow. I'm going to use that in RCIA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so loved ones first, you know, number eight. Successful centenarians in blue zones put their families first no matter what. And then number nine was the right tribe. The world's longest lived people choose or were born into social circles that support healthy behaviors. Huh. So, yeah, so so there you go. It's it's interconnection. It's it's so it's basically community, slowing down, quiet, gratitude, movement, healthy food. You know, I mean, it's basically yeah. it. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's not a rich person's. Uh, yeah, anybody can do that. You know. Now, the hard part, though, really, you know, Carl, I think you're asking the question, and it's an interesting question that we keep bumping into. Is that sadly, healthy food is starting to become expensive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And uh -huh. and and so like right. you know so you're actually that becomes a justice issue, where now like yeah. food and water and things that should be available to everybody. It turns into a problem, you know? Yeah, water, water, Ox right? Look oxygen bars where you have to go and pay for clean air. Ugh, yeah. You know? I mean, mm -hmm. that that kind of thing. It's just, it's, mm -hmm. it, 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 is, it is really, really uh, a scary thing. It's becoming a so, very hard concept now because, I mean, I mean, not to get into a political, it's becoming a political situation, I mean, realistically, because, I mean, environmentally, right. you know, we're having yeah. issues. And so now when you try to teach somebody about wellness, and they go, well, my water's contaminated or, you know, there's pesticides all over this food that causes cancer and it causes, I mean, I, I had a statistic come up the other day that they said, you know, pesticides are at a point now on certain vegetables that by 2000, you know, I think it was 2025, 50% of kids could have potential autism. I mean, that's, that's scary. I mean, that's not a good, that's not a good statistic. We should be really driving home on why that is. And why are we putting masks on while we're spraying our food full of pesticides and then we're eating this stuff? So I, I, it's a major concern for me because I have people come to my door all the time asking me or coming to the office all the time, well, how can I combat around this? I can't afford organic and I can't afford, you know, to eat this way. But you're telling me the foods that I choose that aren't organic are loaded with pesticides and GMOs and all these things you hear about. So then, you know, I feel like I'm stuck I'm trapped in this box where I can't eat yeah. the right things and I can't do the right things. And then you're telling me to achieve more and they're coming to work with limited sleep and then they're asked to perform at high levels. So it's a complete, it's a very tough circle to work with. I have to try to find ways to actually engage them in small levels, give them small little techniques to start practicing and try to hopefully hold that they hold on to those and start to build habits that can start to give them a little bit of success they feel a little better about themselves. And then we can, I mean, so movement is really the only thing I have to get them going because it, yeah. it creates circulation and blood flow and it allows oxygen to get into the body. And for a sense of half a day, they'll feel euphoric and they feel better. Yeah. And once they can get there, then I can start to kind of change the mindset a little bit because then I can say, all right, well, if you're feeling like that, can you imagine feeling like that all the time? And can you imagine feeling like that? You know how you feel when you're with your kids and you're doing this and you, you want to have that feeling all the time. 
uh, how do we how do we expose that? You know, so. So bringing bringing this this is I'm really loving this conversation and um, I'm reading <laughs> the Leah Weiss's book How We Work Right Now and of course she's just so much of what she's saying is tracking exactly with what you're what you're saying so this is just really compelling information yep. but I want to bring it back bring this back to silence and I'm just curious what kind of research is out there what kind of studies have been done that you know, I mean, back to my question about the, the noisy gym, you know, I'm curious in terms of that moving in silence or moving. I know we, we want to talk also about the forest or about the wilderness. So moving in those kinds of settings in distinction to moving in the middle of a rock concert, you know, or moving in the middle of, you know, Manhattan during rush hour where it's so noisy and, and, and frankly, where so many of us live much of our lives in those kind of noisy environments. What science is there to show us that, hey, you know, we need silence as, as an essential vitamin of our wellness? Well, I think, I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know why it keeps coming to me, but in Pursuit of Silence is a perfect example of that. I mean, that movie Actually, when I saw that, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of biased to it. I have to try to tell you. I mean, that movie realistically is is a is a game changer. Kevin and I have spoken to talk as have spoken in length about literally showing that, mm. and then using that as a catalyst of now what? Well, now you need to make uh-huh. a now we need to make a shift. What can we do? Knowing that there's an airplane flying over, you know, we've seen the studies, we've seen the science that that airplane fly- subway by the school. Yeah. yeah. Subway mm-hmm. by the school mm-hmm. and that a huge mm-hmm. air, airplane flying over this, you know, the kids going to school and things like that. And all that loudness actually decreases yeah. scores, you know? So yeah. if it's, if it's doing to that level, that's, that's an eye opener for me. And, and if that's going to affect wellness at that level, um, then what can we do about that? And there's a, I, I mean, I, I think we have to focus more on noise pollution and we have to start focusing more on how we can integrate that into our wellness, you know. And I think, yeah. I, and I think if we do that, we'll start to see like gyms and fitness centers start to kind of like fine tune that. Especially like with well buildings, there's a company out there that's doing like these well buildings I had mentioned earlier. That maybe you, you have different different lighting and you have natural surroundings inside the fitness center that makes you when you are in there, if that's all you have access to, especially if you're in an area where you don't have access to nature. Mm-hmm. Where you can go in and feel a sense of relief, and and like you said, the yoga studio, maybe gyms all start turning into yoga studios. Why can't we shift yeah. that mindset of when you walk into a gym, there's spa type of music, or there's no music, and then there's actually that layout of there's no real equipment, it's just mats and open floor concept, and you have mm-hmm. movement coaches teaching you how to breathe, how to move, mm-hmm. how to bend, how to sit, how to crawl. How to stand, and if you have injuries, you can be drawn into a different coach that teaches you how to maybe work with those injuries. I mean, maybe you start taking away the the, the mechanical machines and you start focusing more on how can we. And that's why I think a lot of people. What I've noticed is a lot of people are turning to small group Pilates type of sessions, yoga type mm-hmm. of sessions, because the Pilates teaches you how to connect breath and inner and inner self. So and to, and connect breath with movement. And yoga, same thing, you know, Tai Chi, same thing, mm-hmm. you know, let's talk about yoga for a minute. I mean, yoga wasn't designed to actually just teach people to, to go in these contorted positions. It was designed for prayer. I mean, right. we, we've to facilitate, you know, meditation. facilitate yeah. meditation. So, I mean, realistically in the end, 
you know, we have turned it into like this exercise that you should do. And, and it, once again, should do. And yeah. it, it's unfortunate because it's really about like incorporating a way, a path to silence in my, in my right. view, right. because it's mm-hmm. going to get you deeper with, with in tune with your body. And it's going to get you to understand how to understand what your body feels like through movement. So, right. I mean, and it's interesting too, because Carl, I'm, I'm imagining what you said before you go into the gym, the music's blaring, the TV is on, right? You walk in, you're surrounded by people. Think about it. The lighting itself, the sound, the smells, everything there is unnatural, right? And what ends up happening (laughs) is we don't pay attention, but we, that puts us into, whether we are aware of it or not, most people, I, I wish I had a study by, or if Kurt had one right here, maybe we can find it at some point. But I mean, most of us live in fight or flight. Most of us are feeling cortisol and all adrenaline, and we've gotten used to it that we actually experience it every day. So we think, well, I'm not stressed right now because this is we've yeah. raised the stress level so high yeah. every day. So this, what Kurt did before with the deep the diaphragmic breathing, that starts to stimulate parasympathetic. That's where you start to actually reduce cortisol, reduce adrenaline, and you now get caught back in your body. You're now quiet. You're now here, and you're moving towards silence, and now you can mindfully move. You can pay attention, right? I, if you just look at athletes, you it doesn't even—like, you don't have to be a professional. If I play Little League, whenever I was distracted, I'd miss the ball. You know, you have yeah. to be completely paying attention in order to catch the ball. You know, like, it doesn't matter what level— so that's of complete mindfulness that like we just, you're not going to see that at the gym. You know, people are just banging, like Kurt said before, give me something to do. And they feel like I need to exercise, so I'll exercise. You know, like that's it. Yeah, it's it's a, a fear-based response too, based on the society we live right. in, right? We're, right? we're acting out of fear because we we need to make sure our bodies are more fit. We need Correct. to, Correct. you know, we should be going to the gym. We should be losing weight. We should be whatever it is. Body shaming, all sorts of stuff. The story it is we're telling ourselves. And I think, Kurt, I love what you're saying because it it sounds a lot like, no, it shouldn't come from that starting point of fear. It should come from this place of a a more soothing, calm place, a space that's loving. That's not fear. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, for me, I've always, I mean, to get into my details in terms of silence and how I got really involved in it is I've always come from a place of, I I just see the ultimate potential in every human being. I've always felt that way. I feel like people don't give themselves enough credit. I feel like people don't know how to like respond to certain things as well as I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm learning every day and I learn, I'm humbly learning from my, a lot of my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I find is, is that the common denominator is, is that we're all inundated. We're all stressed. We're all, but what do we do? You know, and, so, and what, mm-hmm. what's going to help you get to the level where you want to go? And it, what worked for me when I went to the corporate athlete training, what I loved about it is, is like, if you really break it down from a performance level, non-performance athletic aspect, like the, let's take the average American right now. They go to work, they work what, maybe 30, 40 hours a week. No, they have to work 40 to 50 hours a week, right? 40 to 50, all right? Yeah. So now they're working 40 to 50. All right. So now they go to work. They may be on average. I think the number is, don't quote me with the number is, I think six hours a day of sleep roughly. So they're getting six hours. The, the national average should be seven and a half. We should be getting seven and a half, at least the eight, but they're getting six. So they're already under sleep. 
They're working more, not sleeping enough. Then I, I, when I take a client through a normal day, they tell me they skip breakfast, they don't have lunch, and they have a big dinner. All right? So they've gone all day with no energy put into their system to give them energy to perform all day. Right? So what happens? Their performance is weak, right? they, they, but they find a way to make it work. And when we look at the athlete, the athlete does not skip workouts. The athlete gets the meals in, eats well. And so the concept of the corporate athlete is, is how does the corporate athlete work all day long and not train for that all day? They're supposed to, they're supposed to be on performance all day. Their boss wants them at 100% here all day long, performing yeah, at their yeah. best, performing at their best self with no training. And then you have the athlete who's doing all the training for the one game to perform that one moment of like mm-hmm. where they can just put their arm out, catch the ball effortlessly, you know? So mm-hmm. it's kind of a paradox. It doesn't make sense. It yeah. seems like we need to step back and go, okay, why are we not training to perform all day? Like we should be, tra- but then also when do we not perform and pull away and say, if we do less, we're going to get more. Right. And what we've seen is, is in studies, when we give somebody more flex time, we give them the opportunity to have time with their families. We give them opportunities. Now companies are starting to allow people to actually have volunteer uh, time off where you can volunteer for a local community. And, you, and that volunteer gives them a sense of gratitude and feeling of hope, and they love it. So then they come into work, and guess what happens? They're happy their job gave them that, and now they're performing better a little bit more. Yeah, right. So it's a catch. You know, it's a back and forth. You know, another word that I don't know that we've used yet is the word play. And I think that, (laughs) um, you know, we talk about sports and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm thinking, and, and even, even, you know, with the work that I do, you know, I, I teach people how to meditate and, you know, so what do I do? I lead workshops and I, I want to change that, that it's a play shop. You know that we're that we're going in there to uh, yeah to spend to spend a weekend playing with silence and playing with that. our breath, yes. playing with our bodies and playing with the presence of God and all that all that beautiful stuff. See, that's and why so I, I listen to you point. guys every week because I love you guys. You're right on the same page with me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you you probably heard me laughing in the distance because Kurt and I talk all the, like Kurt says all the time. He's like, just stop, just go and play. He tells his clients, his clients come up and go, I want to do, but he goes, just play with it. Just play, get on the floor, roll around, you know, do a squat, do these different things, play, you know? You know, it's funny because like in play itself, Carl, I mean, what I, uh, clients, I am playing with clients now. I, I, we, I've gone to so many workshops and seen so many different like, you know, physical therapists, personal trainers, all these different movement coaches in the world. And they're, they're amazing. Uh, but what we're finding is we're starting to see like some of these companies are starting to pull, or fall into this play. There's a company called Move Nat. Um, you can go on there and look and they're talking about just playing with movement, getting back to the basics. We can't even get off the floor sometimes. Some people can't even get up from the ground. We, you, you watch a baby, right? A baby, what do they do? They crawl, they roll. They're building all that neuromuscular strength. They're building stability. They're building motor control. They can't just come out of the womb and just start running. And th- there's a there's a there's a there's a form of play to get to that point of standing and then moving. You know, you're seeing that happen a lot, and you're seeing a lot of movement coaches and movement professionals starting to go in the direction of like, let's just get out and like hang from like monkey bars. Let's go. Let's go go for a walk. I mean, it used to be 
let's pick like a chest press exercise or a dumbbell exercise and work my biceps. Now it's really about, can we sit down? Can we squat? Can we roll around? Can we bend? Can we twist? Can we turn, you know, and have fun with it? You know, and I, I think when I train clients now, I don't really focus. I want to see their motor control. I want to see the way they move. I want to see what hurts them, what doesn't hurt them. But we, and we have progressions and regressions, but I also want them to have fun with it. Cause if they don't have fun then, and they don't play with it, they're not going to actually enjoy doing the movement. But if they have fun, they just keep coming back asking for more and they feel better because they're doing something that maybe they haven't done in 20 years, you know? Kurt, I did. Did we get through all the books that you well, I definitely, have there? I, d- there I definitely, this to- book I wanted to show you, what, we probably should have went off this route first because Sarah Marquis, Wild by Nature, she is an amazing a National Geographic explorer. From and, and she, I met her at a conference as well. And I had the, uh, the moment to really talk to her. And she wrote in my book, Silence is a Medicine, Beauty is an Incredible Friend to Recognize in Everything. Um, and when we had a conversation, she is one that trekked 10,000 miles from, um, Siberia to Australia over the course of three years by 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 herself herself in the nature and uh, on foot. And she has an amazing story and she, how can I describe it? She walks like in silence. That's Mm. the best way I can describe it. She has a way where when she came to our conference, she couldn't be a part of our group because she's been in nature so long, she's kind of disconnected a little bit from the everyday life because she can't, she's, she can't like go back and forth. She can't oscillate Mm. with the world anymore. She says like when we took her to dinner, it was so loud. She had to apologize to the president of our company and say, I'm sorry, I really appreciate that you invited me here, but I cannot be here. It's, it's too much for me. And I appreciate your time, but you know, thank you. I'm going to have to go back to the hotel. So her path is an amazing path and she's an amazing woman and she had a great personality and she was a very good storyteller. Yeah. So speaking of such a wonderful person of, of silence that's in love with silence, sounds like a true lover of silence. Do you have a silence hero? And also, what would you say is your hope with regards to silence and movement and silence in the body? for everyone you know, for the world? For the world. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Take, take your time and <laughs> take think your about time. It. World peace, start, right? Start world small, peace. Kurt. Start small. I know. I, for yourself? For myself. Perhaps? Silence hero? Or yeah. I mean, silence heroes, I've been going back and forth on that. There's so many for me. I mean, I, I think of like people like Mother Teresa and I think of, I mean, Anthony DeMello was a big one for me personally. Mm-hmm. I, I loved his book, Awareness. It was really something for me that, shifted my whole consciousness and what I didn't see, I saw more, more clearer after reading his book, because I just started looking at things a little differently. And from that perspective, um, I just felt like Anthony just kind of, he just no filter kind of just let it, let it, let it as is and tell you what it's all about. But in the end, I just loved that book. And I loved a lot of his other read, you know, um, his song of a bird and, Mm -hmm. And I think what was the other one that his his co-author wrote after he passed away, yeah. which I really liked. I can't think of the name it off the top of my head. We'd have to find, find that one. Uh, but yeah, Francis, Fra- Shroud, Francis Stroud, Francis Stroud wrote, wrote it, and it was really a great book. And uh, but the the way of love that's another one that I really loved a lot. Yeah. So I mean, Anthony was a big was very impactful for me. And uh, but like, I guess my hope, I mean, in a, in a nutshell, is 
there is a huge path in a direction that a lot of these companies are starting to go into actually believing wellness. I think the hope is the millennial aspect. Mm-hmm. The millennials are really asking and requesting for wellness. Uh, when they come in, that's the first thing they ask from a corporate world. What type of environment am I working in? What type of flexibility do I have? Do I have work home schedules? Can I be able to see my, do I have to be in the office all the time? Can I have access to a fitness center? Do you have a wellness program? What do you provide for education in terms of wellness? We're, we're getting these questions. And that to me is very hopeful because if you start demanding it in your setting yeah. of job, that it's going to have to turn towards that direction where these CEOs and these companies are going to have to say, well, we're not going to be able to get good competition. We're not going to be able to compete with these other companies when these other companies are offering like the, the, like the Yahoo's and the Google's are offering these state-of-the-art fitness centers and also state-of-the-art wellness programs inside their workforce. And yeah. they're getting a high-end workforce realistically because people are coming to them with uh, higher standards. So I think that that so, to me makes it very hopeful. I mean, I, we're, we're going in a yeah. direction. It's just going to be slow. I think our culture is, is kind of like, combative to that because we're going in the wrong direction in so many other ways. And then you see like a lot of these other co- smaller companies saying, well, we're, we're demanding this. We want this because we know it's going to benefit our employee. It's going to give our employee less stress and it's going to actually help our employees shine. And we're mm-hmm. and that's what we're looking for to actually drive success. If you could give one piece of advice to us and all of our listeners, so this includes, you know, the stay-at-home mom, the students, the teacher, the, uh, you know, everyone, the the pastor, the priest, whoever might be listening right now, if you could give one piece of advice that all those people, they're something that they're all able to do, that would help them get in better touch with their body and silence, what would you suggest? Yeah, it's a great question. I, For me, personally, giving that advice, I feel like the best thing is just be and go out and start to do something that you thoroughly enjoy or you used to enjoy and add it back into your day. So mm-hmm. if you used to dance and you are using the excuse that you don't have time to dance, find a time to take a dance class. If you used to be someone who used to go to the gym and you enjoyed that, Find one day a week to get back to that. If you are somebody who is who needs 20 minutes of sitting on a meditation cushion, <laughs> please find that 20 minutes mm-hmm. every day to do that. Now, like I said, it may not happen every day, but if your goal is to get that in, go back to what you drives you, your passion, what you are interested in, and integrate and in and, and, and some form of physicality. It needs to be some type of physicality, like going for a hike getting outside and just sitting on a swing or doing something that you enjoyed when you were a kid or something you enjoyed as an adult and you got away from, find that passion again and just integrate it some point into your life. And I think that's going to be a good driver to kind of get you on that path of next step. Mm -hmm. You know what I love about that is hearing that spoken and kind of all in one string, all these different varieties of things we can do just so deeply points to um, the connectivity and the deepening of our oneness and our humanity and our unity with each other. Mm. And it's just beautiful to recognize that those individualistic things that we do and that we enjoy um, actually connect us more deeply to one another. 
because it, you know, brings us all into that river of silence together in some way. Amen. Now this, I th- this is wonderful because it's taken us into a, into a, a neighborhood we haven't been in before. And that I think we are going to really need to explore at length. So, yeah. so, so I think it's time for us to end I, this conversation can keep going all day, but I want to thank my brother, Kurt come. I normally hear his brilliance all the time. I'm so happy to share it with the world. Thank you for your time today, Kurt. Oh, I, I really appreciate being here and uh, it was an honor and uh, I look forward to future conversations. Hopefully we can continue this process. I think we can go on with this in multiple levels, but uh, practice movement, just get up and move. Mm-hmm. Thank Thanks you so much, Kurt. Kurt. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, www.encounteringsilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being.